Three, two, one, we are back. Welcome to our Sunday broadcast. And for those of you who are listening to us for the first time, this is our informal uh, podcast where we really talk about whatever's on our minds and we pick out some really bizarre news articles to share with all of you guys. So it's not strictly housing related. If you want all the latest housing news and if you want to frankly know how to prepare for the mini housing boom that is clearly going on, um, you absolutely positively want to be listening to our daily podcast. Because as we've been predicting, as we started predicting, uh, the yo-yo is starting to go in the opposite direction and the pendulum is swinging back towards the seller's market. And for those of you who have decided to emotionally take yourselves out of quarantine, you are experiencing probably what it's going to feel like an amazing boom market. Now, a warning that all of you need to be taking into consideration is that boom market will not last. There's no real reasons to believe that it's going to last um, much beyond third quarter this year. So early fall, I hope you will have essentially made your money and you're ready for what's going to be an abnormally slow, normally slower part of the year. And uh, yeah, you guys are preparing for the following year. We're going to keep you apprised of all the latest information, everything that's relevant to not to, to make it so you guys can all, you know, we're all working on this to survive through this first phase of the pandemic economic um deterioration that the the global economies are experiencing and then after that we're going to be working together to help you guys determine what's next so julie before we get into your fun story about um elon musk Mm -hmm. and mars do you have anything housing related you want to share with listeners well there's all kinds of interesting housing related stuff going on uh talking about what you were just alluding to there's an interesting article over on housing wire that says summer is the new home buying season and uh, of course, we all know spring has historically been dubbed the, the real, you know, the spring season. But due to COVID-19, summer is the next spring. So we have seen the, the strongest time for mortgage purchase applications. And uh, between February and early March, home buyers were getting antsy to purchase. So there's lots of stories right now about buyers returning to the market. And the most prevalent thing is the lack of inventory, of course. So uh, let me get up to one of those. Uh, the last hurrah before then this this ties right into what we've been predicting. Okay, so um, I don't know why it's delaying me, but basically the the last hurrah is talking about how we have historically fewer. I mean, going into this, we had almost no inventory. There's a 19% drop in inventory currently. Pretty much anything that gets out on the market right now will have multiple bids. It said over 60% of new listings in the past 45 days have had multiple bids. And it's not just places like the Bay Area. Um, San Antonio was one and Fort Worth was another with some of the highest um, you know, multiple bid situations. So what does that tell you? If you're working with buyers, they had better have it together because they're probably going to be competing. If you have a listing, you've got to be ready to rumble because when you put it out there, you got it priced right, it's probably going to sell. You're going to have to wade through offers. But please don't believe that this is how it's going to be. For maybe, I mean, what are you thinking? 90, 120 days, maybe 180 absolute outside. June, July, August, September. Yeah, right in there. So listeners, you also want to make sure you're paying attention to the fact that the seller's market, again, that's where the money is going to be made right now. If you're chasing buyers and you think buyers are going to essentially save your bacon come the end of the year, you're going to be really, really deeply disappointed because the buyers are going to be the first ones that take themselves out of the market. Matter of fact, there was an article, I don't know if I sent it to you, Julie, mm-hmm. that was talking about some of the macro trends going forward mm-hmm. as a result of the pandemic and the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 
lots of stories about essentially uh, millennials in particular delaying family formation yep. because they're worried about the economy because they maybe don't have jobs or don't have jobs with enough financial stability. Mm-hmm. And delaying family forna- formation means delaying buying houses, yep. which is a reversal of the macro trend that we're seeing leading into this pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's what anytime, guys, there's a, um, a recession, anytime there's any kind of, and you can look at charts going all the way back to the beginning of forever. Anytime there's an economic slowdown, people stop. Basically, they don't have the money or the uh, confidence to purchase little, you know, big purchases like houses. And so what they ended up end up doing is they end up staying tenants for a longer period of time, or they end up basically, you know, delaying house purchases forever. Julie and I, when we were selling real estate in Ohio, we had clients that weren't buying their first houses until they were in their 40s mm-hmm. because they had lived through. Now, so that was in the 90s, right? But they had lived through, um, you know, the 70s, the whole high interest rate thing. Super lived high through interest a, a really tough economy in the mm-hmm. 80s for most, for most, you know, normal Americans. And so they were having to delay until they were in their 40s buying their first house because they couldn't financially do it until then. Um, so there's a lot. Of, there's going to be a lot of big changes that are going to happen, maybe 10, 15 years down the road that they're going to attribute to this time. But the other one I, I read, which was kind of counterintuitive, and they're saying a lot of people, because of their fears about the economy, are going to delay start having families. Yeah. And now some dem- demographers are expecting, despite the fact that we have all these millennials and you know a baby making you know age, that they're going to not be doing it. And then they're were you know they're now predicting there could be because of this pandemic that's leading to the recession depression that they're expecting there to be you know again 10 or 15 years from now a uh, lack of you know consumers in the market so that's kind of an interesting fascinating trend to follow yeah but these are all look guys in the short run we can talk forever i was on someone else's podcast the other day chris waters podcast actually and i think it went for like two hours yep and um, we were talking about all these big trends and we had a lot of fun. But then I realized after about hour one that all it really was is just a mental gymnastics trying to you know see whose crystal ball had the clear uh, vision of the future. Neither one of ours did because you really can't tell what's going to happen. There was another um, article that I was reading just this morning on Sunday that was talking about the fact that, you know, there if the pandemic that caused this global shutdown has resulted in this global, you know, recession, depression, whatever word you want to use. What if the pandemic causes another uh, global shutdown? Or what if there's regional shutdowns? What if there's like, so going forward, that's the all the uncertainty that, that we hadn't sort of uh, mentally put together in our heads when we were telling you guys the new normal is abnormal. But I can definitely see how in the next, you know, until there's a vaccine or until there's ex- essentially an acceptance that there never will be a vaccine and they have to go the herd um, herd immunity route mm-hmm. or if there's some sort of working therapy, whatever, until there's a resolution where people can feel like, okay. Well, you, th- you have to have confidence back. Right, exactly. Confidence to go out, confidence to spend money, confidence to invest. That's really until what that it is. Back, you know, I think it's going to be uh, very uneven. I mean, look at this, you know, the housing market crisis well, they're already calling it the housing market crisis. Will arrive once the mortgage deferral benefit let, ends. So let, that's, let me, let me you know, finish making that the point. The up and down. Well, so what if we see over the next year we see patch patches of this uh, country that get closed down? Mm-hmm. What if there's another outbreak in New York and they decide to close New York down? You know they're going to love the people that run New York love closing New York down, right? That's like a hobby for them. What about these other, you know? Um, seemingly blue states where the governors are essentially hair trigger ready to seize power and mm-hmm. you know shut everything down if they see what it, what in their opinion is going to necessitate as far as an increase in the virus 
how much is it going to have to increase for them to shut the their local economy down? And this this pattern of uncertainty is going to really spin off in some other interesting ways. And uh, again, thinking just you know big picture here, there are going to be parts of the country where people were felt essentially that their government overreached Mm -hmm. and took too many of their rights away and those people are going to leave those states never to return maybe they were thinking about leaving michigan before but maybe this is just the very well chicago you know with their new tax that's maybe a tipping point for them right where maybe they had just about had it then they were in lockdown they didn't have a backyard now they're going to be taxed to oblivion yep you know what it reminds me of tim you remember that i think it was an hbo show that we watched called the leftovers yeah and you know how there were certain towns that really were untouched by their version of weirdness and they became like little urban oasis uh, yeah or non-urban but suburban oasises i wonder whether something like that could happen where you have something like a montana or that that wasn't really that affected and it becomes like okay you know maybe i can live there and i'm leaving my urban i mean uh diana olick was just reporting on condo sales were dramatically um lower i i'm sorry they yeah i mean people are leaving condos and that that interest is going to the countryside or at least going to suburbia so what's going to happen i mean are we going to have uh remember in the recession caused by different things the see-through towers where nobody was really living there what's going to happen to all that i remember that in vegas when we lived there that was creepy it was well so to your point though you're going to see whole states that handled the pandemic differently than other states right so let's use for example the juxtaposition of say for example michigan versus texas or just any of these states that you know california versus texas those are you know, obvious, you know, completely into the spectrum. Well, okay, if California all of a sudden uh, decides to have this sort of, you know, un- uneven shutting down, opening up, shutting down, opening up, mm-hmm. if all of a sudden the taxes continues to go up, if all of a sudden they start to seize more power, if all of a sudden now these robot dogs that Julie yeah. and I were reporting on are, are now a common sight, yes, guys, robot dogs walking around Central Park telling you. people telling people to social distance. They have drones flying over beaches. And uh, I think it was California. They're telling people to social distance. It doesn't take long for the, the most progressive, open-minded liberal person to say this is enough. And they're going to want to leave, especially if you combine it with taxes and uncertainty mm-hmm. about them being able to earn a viable living. People are just going to leave. And so what I suspect you're going to see is you're going to see uh, migration trends shift uh, really towards states. that, And, and it's going to be predicated not just on the weather and employment, but how they treated people during the pandemic. And then again, you're going to see probably states because states do compete for big business for the sake sake of uh, taxes. So I think you're going to see big states essentially, uh, or you're going to see certain states take the lead and really get ahead of the curve as far as, um, you know, being the new place to live. Yeah. So maybe even cities within states will treat things differently. That's true. So these are the kind of fun things. Again, we can talk about these things forever. It's not very practical and tactical because it really doesn't square you away for the next, you know, four to six months is where all of our uh, main focus has to be. But uh, when we say, and when you guys hear other people say that there's going to be big, huge shifts in just society and how people live and interact, it really is true. This is one of those sort of amazing and forward slash scary, uncertain, weird times in history where it's really impossible to, you know, sort of predict all the different ways that human behavior will change. But for the most part, here's the thing you do know. Eventually, over time, whatever the change is, is is almost violent and uncertain as it feels, it always ends up being better. And so what you're going to experience, I think, in your own world, as long as you accept moving forward and stop trying to fight moving back, 
you're going to see, I think, a whole new world open up as far as possibilities for yourself. And what we are preaching for all of you guys to do is make sure that you're really paying a lot of attention on how to become a listing agent. For example, Julie just said to you, there's a huge shortage of listings out there, right? Well, that's going to be definitely true for the rest of the year until there isn't. And when there isn't, be careful here, Julie. And when there isn't, it, what's going to happen is you're going to have essentially a lot of houses that would have otherwise hit the market as being very motivated, distressed sellers. Those sellers are then going to start putting their houses on the market after all these mortgage deferment uh, programs run their course. And those mortgage deferment programs will all run their course next year. And um, they won't be able to do extensions probably much beyond a year. So all the houses that are sort of maybe the people who are unemployed or maybe they're underemployed, maybe they're not getting whatever, their lives have changed. They now have to move. Maybe they're moving because they're fearful of the virus or maybe they're going to move because their, their, their job is uh, not what it was and they have better opportunities in other states. This is going to create an enormous amount of inventory. Well, let me supplement this with some uh, actual Stats here. Moody's Analytics warned last month that as many as 30% of Americans with mortgages could default on their home loans in the aftermath of the pandemic. This is talking about after the mortgage forbearances and deferments are over. So, you know, this this whole article is talking about the last, they called it the last hurrah before the housing crash, right? right. So you've got to be careful how you're thinking about this. And, you know, I've been doing lots of coaching calls lately where, you know, people have been asking is it really, you know, I've got somebody who doesn't have to sell today, but wants to sell. Is this really a good time? And, and you know, in, in normal times, we joke about agents' typical script being, now is a great time to sell. But now but it you is. Know what? Now really is a great yeah. time to sell because you've got to beat that, that very predictable coming inventory. You know, not everybody even knew about forbearances and people who took them, not everybody's going to get their job back or their business back or whatever, you know, their restaurant they're running back and there will be more inventory. Yep. I mean, it's just a matter of timing at this point. It's also worth mentioning too, there are going to be a lot more articles coming out talking about inflation mm -hmm. versus deflation. This is something Julie and I have been talking to you guys about with intensity for the past 90 days because it's important that you understand what's going to happen on the other side of all this money being uh, pumped into the economy because the reality of it is is that we're not going to get out of this without a lot of bumps and bruises. Um, and so here's a for example. If you have so, you know trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy, we in all in the short run can celebrate it and say it was necessary. Maybe even because of the takings clause in the Fifth Amendment, we say that it was illegally uh, imperative that the government essentially keeps everyone afloat because of the fact that the government, in essence, because of their decisions, have decided to shut everyone down. So we can make that argument, you know, Fifth Amendment, takings clause, Google it yourself. Yep. But really, I think what needs to be discussed is what's going to happen over the next maybe five years, but really realistically two and a half years. Lawrence uh, Jung, for example, of the National Association of Realtors, he essentially said, and we told you guys about this last week, that he's expecting there to be a very noticeable bout of inflation that's going to happen in five years. Other people, I've not, I have not heard a single person say five years. Most people are saying 24 months on the outside. And um, I was listening to a great podcast yesterday with our friend Peter Schiff. He's our neighbor. And he was talking about the fact that inflation, so what is inflation? Inflation is the cost of things increasing. So the argument against there being inflation as a result of this you know, quantitative easing money printing is that, hey, 
Why wasn't there inflation back after 07 and 08 and 09 and all that, you know? Well, the answer was there was, but it was inflation in asset prices. It was inflation in things like houses. It was inflation in actual asset securities. You know, stock market went up. It was an inflation in collector cars. There was a huge collector car boom that ran its course and ended about two years ago. There was inflation in art, inflation in things where people could put their money, where they felt at the very least the asset in which they're putting their money would hold the value. That's where the inflation was. The inflation did not make its way to things like food, did not make its way to airline prices, or did not make its way to you know the normal commodities that virtually everyone uh, will you know and has to consume. So the inflation did not adversely affect what 99% of America, because we're only talking about a small group of people that were buying up stocks who are, you know, essentially real estate obviously got more expensive and that affected everyone. But for the most part, the inflation went to places where normal people wouldn't have suffered from it. That's going to be differently this time in the opinion of Peter and other people. So what the most predictable path is going to happen, and again, I, I read a lot about this. Julie's got us reading The Economist every month, or every, yeah, monthly magazine, and we read it online too. It's very fascinating. Is There is an excess amount of supply in the markets right now uh, of everything. Car tires, of food, so much, you know, you've heard the stories about the fact that farmers are having to euthanize their, you know, animals because of the fact that they don't have the supply chain won't take the animals once processed to market. And there's all these other disruptions in the marketplace. And there's car tires that have gone unsold. There's a massive amount of cars that have gone, just everything you can possibly imagine. There's a huge oversupply, which will cause a deflationary uh, cycle to happen right now. So what you're going to see is you are going to see prices drop. You're going to see prices drop on virtually everything that would be essentially a consumer item. So people are going to be really confused, all this government and trillions of dollars coming in, and yet things appear to be going on sale. And they will be going on sale. You know, TVs, uh, clothes. There, Look, here's a... I shouldn't say this in front of Julie, but I was actually uh, shopping for Julie uh, for Christmas presents and other things. And I'll tell you why. Because her, fr- her favorite dress designer, she's looking at me right now as I say this, <laughs> her favorite dress designer is Dolce Gabbana. Yep. And um, they're for sale. And they're uh, the only place you can get them without going direct is going to be through Neiman Marcus. And guess what? Neiman Marcus is in bankruptcy. So I was on ne- yeah. Neiman Marcus's website looking for Dolce de Gabbana to go on sale. Good thinking. And it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's just a silly, you know, example. But, um, you know, we want to get a new TV for our bedroom. Same thing. I shopped around and you can get a massive OLED, you know, 4K, whatever the thing can, you know, see into the future kind of thing. And those things have gotten dirt cheap. Well, here's what's going to happen. All the stuff that would have been consumed over the last 90 days, and maybe even for the next 30 days going forward, all that stuff is going to have to be sold. And once that stuff is sold, then you're going to see the inflation. Yeah, I saw an article this morning about how many cars didn't sell, like new cars that are just sitting around and how this might be one of the best months to get a deal. Well, um, so. I'll tell you what. Um, so here's the other thing that uh, high end or any kind of car financing, mm-hmm. the leases in particular. Mm-hmm. So their prediction of in value on leases is completely wrong. Hmm. And so there's going to be a lot of car lenders who are going to absolutely suffer because of the fact that when the cars get returned, they're going to be worth less than what the residual value on the lease is. Hmm. Well, here's another just anecdotal piece of evidence. Hertz rental car essentially is in bankruptcy now. I saw that. And what would that take for a huge company like Hertz to go into bankruptcy? Less than 90 days. Yep. And what they're doing is they're selling off their... um, Oh, their rental inventory? Yeah. And they started out selling... They had a big fleet of evidently yellow Corvettes. 
Yeah, Hertz That's rail car, weird. yellow. Yeah. And so these were more expensive. And so they're, wow. they're dumping these strategically on the market, but obviously people picked up on it. Car you know, auctions are going to get weird this It's going to get crazy. And, and just, yeah. you know, Julie and I are car nerds, the reason we always reference car information. But I think uh, automotive sales are a very – it's autom- telling, though, because people, it is. you know, they don't it's have confidence. to do something. It's confidence. Right. You know, are they moving up, moving down, sideways? You I know, think personally, I think car, car sales are probably – car sales are the – greatest indicator of the health of an economy because you can even more so than a house um it's certainly more than other consumer items because you don't have to buy a new car you buy a new car only when you're feeling optimistic and you're feeling that tomorrow's gonna be better than today whereas a house you might buy it because you need a place to live right right so a house has a lot more you know need to it Versus a car, which you can just keep your old jalopy running, sure. which was the trend during the last recession too. Mm-hmm. People started keeping their cars longer, um, and you saw you know places like Rock Auto and places that were selling auto parts. Yep. Uh, they started going through the roof. But these are the interesting things that are kind of fascinating to think about. Like you know, if people start keeping their cars longer, that is going to create what a need for people that know how to work on cars that are maybe out of warranty. So there, that's going to create new opportunity. Whereas because people have gone through this cycle in the last ten years. The, nobody keeps a car for longer than a yep. few years, and people have just gotten used to upgrading them constantly. Um, and that's obviously fueled the huge automotive industry, which is now mostly on its heels. Um, I was reading uh, those the two of you listening that are Formula One fans. Mm-hmm. Formula One is basically a completely um, screwed right now as far as the as far as the race series. McLaren and um, uh, Aston Martin and there's all the, there's other manufacturers too, which are basically saying because of this pandemic, because of 90 days of a bad economy, where essentially we don't know where we're going to get money to build cars anymore, let alone to continue uh, racing. So I mean, all these this is the huge. Now what's going to happen? There's going to be probably something new that arrives that's going to uh, you know satisfy the needs of all the car nerds that like to watch racing, sure. and maybe it's Formula One Part Two, and maybe it's going to be who knows. But remember, bankruptcy, just because it's the end of one thing does not mean it's the end of that thing forever. That thing can change and become something else. And so those are the types of things that you need. When you're hearing the bad news, you also maybe (laughs) should think about what the flip side to that coin is as well. Speaking of which, here's my segue into the flip side. Americans are buying bikes, kayaks, and hammocks as lockdowns ease. These are the following stocks that are benefiting. Okay, so... Uh, this was a really well-written article, I thought, um, talking about how they, the quarantine does strange things to you and how many people that thought never in a million years would they have an above-ground pool, much less actually use it regularly. <laughs> so um, let's see. So for example, let's see here. Let me get to the stats. Uh, L.L. Bean, uh, CEO, says sales of L.L. Bean's outdoor furniture rose 80% last month and hammock sales jumped 150%. You know, on our walk, we were noticing how many hammocks were around. Yeah, um, we were. Now the exploration phase of the lockdown has begun. Bike sales at L.L. Bean have soared 400%. Kayaks and boats are up 96%. And that's with almost all of L.L. Bean's actual stores being closed. Okay, so uh, only 25% of their sales come from actual stores. So they're a company that's benefiting. RV maker Winnebago Industries has soared 61% in the last month. Okay, so this that one data point is all you need to know that the current recession, see, there you go, already being called a recession, is entirely different 
than in the financial crisis. In 2009, Winnebago tumbled to only $3 a share. It's up nearly 20 times since then and closed last week at an all-time high. Shares of Pool Corporation, which makes supplies for pools, are up 29% over the past month. Okay, so they're talking about investing in things. Zoom, we've already talked about. Peloton is doing very well. Slack Technologies. Um, and let's see, any industry with a crowd is impacted and won't return to full normalcy until there's a vaccine. So they talked about that. Um, Yeti Holdings, which makes cooler. We have some Yeti cups. They make cooler steel cups and other outdoor gear um, is expected to be coming back. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's all of the interesting stocks. But who would have thought stocks like Yeti and Winnebago and you know, a lot of the yellow bean stuff is doing so well. I've got, I've got um, one that I'll bring up in particular because I just want to see your yes. face when I say this on oh the boy. podcast. <laughs> all right. What's so that? on Seeking Alpha, I was reading a different article Uh-oh. and the article was all about the sex doll. Oh my gosh. Yep. Did you read that? Did you see that article? <laughs> no, but I can see how well, that would probably be doing well. <laughs> okay. But get this. The sex doll oh industry God. has taken off. And so, Unintended consequences. Yes. Yeah, none of these companies are publicly traded, but they're saying that they think some of these That's companies hilarious. will go public. Yeah. Do private offerings. But the reason was, obviously, is because people are quarantined. And but the the real contributing factor, and this is so this is really silly, mm-hmm. but all those uh, Tumblr and, and I mean you and I are too old, to, you know you know what I'm talking about yeah. those sites yeah, where yeah. people basically they're just essentially booty calls through an app, right. yeah. So that uh, is people aren't doing that now, and so those apps are losing money, they're losing subscribers, and the sex doll wow. business is going through the roof. That's you didn't amazing. you didn't react no, nearly I, as shocking. Sorry, no. because you warned me. Oh. Um, so just to turn that ship around, something interesting, because <laughs> I don't want to talk about hold that. Hold on, tee it up, tee it up better so it's fun. Okay. All right, so just in case you're, Another news. you're really sick of all the quarantine news and the you know draconian governors and you're tired of you know the you know, Democrats. The reser- you're, COVID, good grief. You're sick of the word COVID. You're sick of the word coronavirus. You're just sick of it all. <laughs> well, no, we're not suggesting that you end it. We're suggesting that you... Hitch a ride on the SpaceX. So SpaceX is poised for a defining moment with the first humans on their rocket. I think this is really exciting and really, very interesting. Elon Musk is about to face his biggest test after two decades as a space entrepreneur, launching real humans into orbit. Now, they've been uh, using his rockets to go to the International Space uh, Station for quite some time to, to uh, deliver supplies, but that's been without humans. So um, I think... I think it's this Wednesday. And part of the story is how quickly in comparison to its competitor, which was also funded at the same time when I think it was Obama uh, decided that it was going to be taken on by uh, private industry. They gave money to both Boeing and SpaceX. Well, Boeing's been around, you know, forever and was known as being very innovative. Well, Musk, in only two decades, has already surpassed them from having no rockets to actually launching people this Wednesday from Cape Canaveral. I think that's going to be awesome to watch. Um, I've been watching the astronaut interviews and stuff like that. It's very cool. Very you, cool. You know, I, I saw the, uh, I can't remember which one it was when I was a kid. I was about 12. I saw one of the, um, I think it was one of the shuttle launches from Cape that's Canaveral. Right. It was amazing. It, I mean, if you guys are anywhere near there, our Florida listeners, totally worth getting somewhere near that so you can see it it's well, super cool when we lived in texas we would go down to um what was that place that island um padre, padre, south island. padre island yeah yeah. Pa- yeah and f- there was a little real estate boom going on down in that part of texas 
because people could see um, the space SpaceX stuff taking off yeah. from the wherever it was nearby. nearby but you, you, were, you looked over part of the Gulf, yeah. and there's where they yeah, took it was off. Incredible. And so all the people that had a view, not just of the Gulf, but of the so launching cool. pad for the SpaceX rockets down in uh, you know Padre Island, that's pretty amazing. So yeah. there's another little micro market yeah. real estate it's thing. Super cool. No matter what you think of Elon Musk, I mean that guy is totally incredibly smart doesn't think like anybody i've ever heard interviewed and uh that i thought it was interesting the the, where the astronauts are sitting doesn't that remind you of the inside of a tesla anyway yeah so anyway just kind of interesting i liked that story but uh to your story though elon musk is not signing himself up to go on any of his own rockets (laughs) no i noticed that And, and when i heard him interviewed asked if he's planning on going to mars he said no there's too much work to do here but you know he's and it's only a one-way trip you don't come back that's right. What happens to your body in that long of a uh, trip in space is extraordinary because you're you have no natural like so you're in this little tube and you're you know whatever it is and you're flying to Mars and it takes forever. There's no nothing blocking other than the ship itself, the radiation that comes from the sun. Right here on Earth, we have lots of things that block the radiation that keeps all of us from baking, right? But when you're in a rocket ship going from here to Mars, there's nothing. So that whole prolonged exposure. To uh, essentially, well, they don't even know what'll happen, but it doesn't sound good. So. Well, they're they're saying that's yeah. the thing that basically mm-hmm. is the most troublesome to overcome. Yeah. Now, this one's going to the International Space Center. Right, right, so. right. I know, but eventually, you know they're, yeah. where they're going. And oh, yeah. by the way, yeah. speaking of badasses, uh-huh. you know that Tom Cruise is filming or just finished filming oh, part of a new so. movie on the International Space oh, Station no. for real. How cool is that? Yeah, that's exactly. Awesome. I want to Mar- see the new Top Gun. I'm excited about that. Some of yeah. our generation. That's very awesome. That's right. Up yeah. in the International Space Super Station. Cool. Go Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to follow that for sure. <laughs> well, so I, my next story, I, I will just chalk this up to, I'm starting to keep track of strangest things that I've had to Google. <laughs> okay, so my Google search was, just to be safe, are cicadas and locusts not the same thing? Because I had a chat with my brother going, he's like, you know, it's bad enough that we're dealing with a pandemic, but you guys are dealing with earthquakes and hurricanes too. And I I chatted back, as long as there's no locusts, I think I'm okay. Because one thing after the next in 2020, well, millions of cicadas are expected to emerge in the next, uh, in this year, okay, the, re- the, reason anyway. that's hap- the reason that's happening is because you're using I Apple News. I know. Okay, yeah. so cicadas expected to emerge after 17 years underground because why? It's 2020. As if we didn't have enough to worry about with giant murder hornets invading the U.S., global pandemic and unemployment, millions, millions of 17-year cicadas will emerge, especially in southwest Virginia, parts of North Carolina and West Virginia. Luckily, cicadas are harmless to humans. At most, the noise they make could become a serious nuisance. And I did Google, and uh, you know, locusts are more like grasshoppers and do all the damage to the crops. Cicadas are just loud and annoying. Yeah, so, well, there but you go. for people that don't know what a cicada looks like, uh, Julie, tell them how to spell it so they can actually Google it. Yep, it's C I C A D A S. Okay. And we we experienced this in Ohio in Ohio several times, and they what would you say they don't really look like anything except themselves. They look like something that you don't ever want to see. Yeah, they look a little alien. It's extra weird that they come out of the ground Every and then they years. molt. I remember my yeah. dad took a, like a slow motion uh, photo thing of a cicada losing its it's basically its skin, and then it leaves this weird. Um, 
paper-like shell behind. It's very strange. It's like molting like a snake does. Yeah, but I, I just realized. Odd. So you remember, so now that we're... I do remember. Now we're having an informal... You know what I'm going to say? The Tom Cruise movie where the aliens were basically... Uh, yeah. They're in the ground and essentially... That's right. They all came out of the ground. Oh, yeah, just like cicadas and they'd been there the whole time. Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, 2020 would be the year for that. Well, but in so. Ca- so the problem with the cicadas guy is not only they have these big red, red eyes and they absolutely yeah, look freaky. Crazy. Uh, but they have the loudest, shrill, unbelievably loud noise. And it's not just one of them. It's, it's millions no. of them doing it at the same time. And when you when you hear these things, um, I mean, I, you, I cannot, there are no words I can use to describe when you get you know, hundreds, if not thousands of them together. Well, it would be great tor- prison ground torture. It, you know? it is. The, it just is, play that. It is so incredibly yes. loud. And they all, so they come out of the ground every basically almost 20 years. You know, make cicada babies and go back in the ground again. I mean, it's just crazy. It's bizarre. Yeah, so they're all out like, oh, it's a party. Yeah, and then one day they literally just go away. Yeah, That's they it. just go away. They're just gone. It's nuts. Yeah. So that was my most weird story. Um, in things that I love, uh, we have. Uh, let me just open this. You know, we've been continuing to report on all these changes in the cities after lockdown and what animals are doing. And of course it's okay. So here's the story with the coyotes in charge, the yard goes wild. And somebody was reporting on the fact that they had only seen in 27 years of living in my house, I'd seen a coyote on my property only twice. Now it happens all the time. They wander around voguing, sashaying, acting like I'm not even there. (laughs) Sometimes I get the feeling they're giving me the hi hat. Okay. Um, So this is just talking about coyotes and foxes and all of these things that are taking over. Uh, different cities so beware it might be in your backyard that was just a little story um well this story you found was better hilarious real estate listing photos show bigfoot inside a home oh my gosh and this was hilarious i I got it julie you've got it and so the zillow so basically here's (laughs) the picture you guys should google this because it really will give you a chuckle there's someone that went to the effort they have a house for sale I mean, obviously, it's great PR. Here we are you talking about it. You should click on all the pictures because they are freaking hilarious. I don't have to go through your Apple News ad vortex. That's the reason yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to send them that way anymore. Right. So the um, real estate listing photos literally show a really good Bigfoot. Like, an unbelievable. If I were to see this thing out in the wild, I oh, would take definitely off. freak out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has long fingernails. His hands have it's spots really all over him. Okay, here's the pictures. Right. It's so... The funny part is it shows but him. He's reading his his cookbook is edible mushrooms. <laughs> of course, that's <laughs> <laughs> so freaking funny. But he's making cookies too. Yes, yeah, it's actually living in the house. It, um, look, he's having a beer. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, like, there's his cookies. Um, he's, he's online. Um, what is he? And, and the caption is "Room to Zoom." Uh, he's on a Zoom meeting <laughs> in his home office. Uh, let's see. He's doing yoga. Is this great? Humans of New York, he's reading. Uh, he's laying in bed. He's um, having a, a sleep. Here he is gardening. With a little hat on. <laughs> and then they have the pictures without him in case you want to see what the house actually looks like. You guys but have... what a hilarious marketing thing. And I have the stats on this here. This is a house for just under a million bucks in Fenton, California. Um, let's see. I think it said that he had had like... 450,000 views or something. It's something crazy. What a cool house too, right? This is a great little house. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The sellers were down with it, immediately supported the idea, and hoped it would bring a bit of levity to people in their home on their buy- home buying adventure. 
let's see, an overwhelming amount of interest in folks calling to schedule appointments and is anticipating offers soon. So, yeah, I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if this is going to be some kind of a trend. Well, heck yeah. Let's, so let's break this yeah. down just from a marketing perspective. Obviously, it's a great way to get attention. Yeah. It'll be a great way mostly. Very for, creative. But if the house is overpriced or if the house is a condition issue or yeah. a location issue. Too you, much the best, Bigfoot fur. <laughs> the best marketing in the world is not going to get the house yeah, sold. That's true. But so this is a, I'll tell you what, this is a great gimmick for it. That agent should be thinking in terms of essentially, you know, assuming it was an agent that came up with this idea because yeah. it is so funny. They should, I would carry that football as far as I could run with it, right? And every it's listing you so get from now on, it, you could play spot Bigfoot and you could start building a little, you know, just a fun thing. Might last yeah. four to six months, make people laugh. And you might pick up some, you know, fairly loony sellers that are listing with you just because of your Bigfoot gimmick. Could but be. hell. But, you know, it could be a thing. So I, I, I credit for creativity. Oh, for it's sure. fantastic. And, they, Julie, we have got to get a costume like that for me to wear to scare Zoe. Oh, my gosh. She, yeah. Where are we going to find that? That's so good. Back to Amazon. But you know what? I just had a thought. <laughs> what? Why are we assuming it's a person in a co- costume? Maybe it really is Bigfoot. Why do we assume it's not Look really at the Bigfoot? lot. He could have come straight out of the woods. But seriously, that could be Bigfoot. And it is in California where that kind of thing probably would happen. But maybe the joke's on us. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe. Hold on. I know. Maybe Bigfoot has a yeah. real estate license. It could be. That is the realtor. <laughs> <laughs> that is the real that's the real story, right? Maybe we're making the mistake of oh assuming that's not a human. It's so funny. You see? I know. And you know what? The, at the very bottom of that article, it said that the idea uh, happened originally from a realtor in Ohio last year. Somebody did that. So just as a sideline. All right. Well, you know, Julie, yeah. I'll, since we're talking about crazy things. Yeah. Um, so because we like talking about stuff like this because it's fun, you know, it adds it, between the locusts and the cicadas and the yeah. earthquakes and the, well, so the UFO story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's catching, that's getting more legs now. And essentially, what appears is if there's going to be more uh, information and imagery and videos that are going to be released showing more evidence of the fact that there are truly unidentified flying objects. That's just amazing. It is amazing. But here's the thing that makes me wonder. So one of my mm-hmm. personal coaching clients, Legrand Labrash, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. he has. Uh, he used to be an F-18 fire pilot. Mm-hmm. And I told him about that UFO thing, and I sent him the videos and whatnot. And so, of course, because he was an F-18 pilot, he saw and heard things that, you know, a, a plebe like me never would have seen. And he was looking at the avionics on the screen through the heads up, and he was noticing that the thing that they were tracking was doing things that, you know, essentially what no normal plane could do. So he was looking at it through an educated eye, and he thought, and this is what his thought was, he said, Tim, that might very well be a UFO, right? All the, you know, all that. But he said what it could very well be is some sort of... Um, you know, drone that's using technology that his point was, why are these things flying over military bases? Mm. And his, and Mm. the thinking was, well, it's because it's not a UFO. It's not from another planet. It's actually our technology and they're flying them over military bases because it's restricted airspace. Makes sense. And they then don't have to worry about civilians seeing what are essentially advanced, um, you know, very, very, very advanced drones. So with that in mind, there was a story that I read yesterday, which was fascinating. The U.S. has a laser, I mean, honest to God, that can shoot down drones. And these lasers are being, did you see the story? I just saw the headline. And they're being yeah. mounted on warships because obviously, a, you know, one of the worst case scenario if you're out to sea is uh, a big mass of drones that all have 
you know, all on kamikaze missions with, you know, some sort of explosives attached to them, which are just basically being steered into a, you know, a target. So the U.S. Navy has an honest-to-God laser that can shoot down flying objects. All right. Now, if you tie in the UFO thing and then if you tie in the laser thing, I think what LeGrand said is very viable that there actually is technology that we have that's Mm -hmm. so far beyond anything we could possibly conceive that the UFOs that they're reporting now, even though they're being seen by, you know, F-18 fire pilots and the F-18 pilots are just, you know, beside themselves not believing it's real. I would not be surprised at all if those are those things that we see flying are using some sort of propulsion system that nobody knows about yet, that are using technology that nobody knows about yet, that somehow at some advanced DARPA wing, and I mean, you know, we're way ahead of our skis, but this is what Sunday is all about. Something to watch, right? We talk, we talk about real estate and price reductions and interest rates and freaking... <laughs> and aliens. It, it, and we talk cicadas. about all that stuff during the week. During the oh. weekend, yep. it's loony Too bad time. for you. <laughs> you <laughs> never know. About, we talk about big foot. I did see that. You know, it, it's just like, this has got to be the strangest year ever. At least I certainly hope it will be. I don't. I'm. I'm hoping next year won't be even weirder. It's impossible that it won't be weirder because yeah. we're we're in a long term cycle of oddity and change. Oh, I'm keeping track of new words too that I like. Uh, okay, so this week the word digitopia, which is people finding utopia online because they've had to be quarantined so long, and what they're listening to and watching and all that kind of stuff. So digitopia is a good word. But I also saw in new listings the phrase, and I wonder if this is going to be a box to check when you enter something in the MLS, quote, quarantine ready. Like, okay, what does that mean? But anyway, words that I thought were interesting. No, that's good. Yeah, you know, collecting them. Last week it was uh, doom scrolling. That was yeah. a new word. So, yeah. It is Things nuts. are changing, right? Well, so if you're listening to us on a Sunday, hopefully basically you have your week all logged out for, you know, planned out. But if you don't, Here's what you have to put focus on. Number one, what you don't do. What you don't do is anything creative. So you can, you know, like Julie and I do on the weekends, you can basically be a little creative and let your mind go and relax. And it actually helps for Julie and I. It helps us to reset because our normal weeks are so drilled down, coaching agents and coaching brokers and talking, coaching. Right, and talking yep. about, you know, how to adapt your business and how to, you know, all the things that we do for a living, right? I mean, we've become sort of, you know, micro famous in the real estate world or micro famous in the general world and famous in the real estate world because of the fact that you guys have learned over the years that hey guess what tim and julie actually know what they're talking about but during the weekends we do a lot of you know we do a lot of pleasure reading we listen to different books julie and i'll go on different walks we have our little nerdy hobbies that we do julie makes jewelry you know things like that do find release valves like that um, so that you can essentially allow your brain to sort of calm down from all the yep. sort of manic overexposure to all the uncertainty that's certainly facing all of us. Just remember in your heart that no matter what comes next, what will be needed more than anything are people that know how to solve other people's problems. And that really is the truth. Um, look, there's going to be some massive ma- um, macro, that means large scale trends that are going to happen that none of us would have predicted. Mm-hmm. There could be if the you know different states start to have uh, you know differing levels of reaction to a return of the pandemic. You could see mass migration out of those states. You could see civil unrest in those states. You could see all kinds of political uncertainty. You could see states like I'll tell you right now I think Texas you know we're in Puerto Rico but I in Puerto Rico even has a chance to do something amazing if states should be looking at this as an opportunity to be um, you know not the defensive but on the offensive they should start looking for ways to improve their economic situation long term by making it so that they don't uh, 
put themselves in a situation where they're always going to be remembered as essentially not respecting the mm-hmm. Constitution and people's rights. That's what's going to happen. You know, people are always going to remember which states essentially overreached, which political parties overreached, where people finally had enough mm-hmm. and they started to because there's no there's no certainty. Nobody knows how far you can actually push people Um so, you know, you opened up, everyone's feeling good. Oh, this, you know, we're able, able to go out six feet apart, masks on everywhere. Julie and I were out and about yesterday. It is definitely weird. Oh, well, at least it's a relief valve, right? It's almost like steam coming out of the kettle. That's how a lot of people feel right now. Mm-hmm. How are people going to feel and how are people going to react when they try to put that steam back in the kettle? What if they then start saying there's going to be no new lockdowns? Is there going to be new quarantines and quarantine? This is quarantine 1.0. What if, you know, uh, a year or two from now, it's quarantine 2.0 and 3.0 and, or maybe 10.0. What is actually happening is people are going to either go of one or two ways. They're just going to become sedate and easily controlled and manipulated, waiting for, you know, essentially Big Brother Orwellian-type future to tell them what to think and what to do and when it's safe to go outside and, you know, I better, you know, whatever, right? Or people are going to say, screw this, I'm going to revolt. What most likely will happen, and revolting not in the sense they're going to pick up guns and pickaxes, revolt in the sense that they're going to start, as you're already seeing macro trends, people react this way, you're going to start seeing people leave. They're going to go to the countryside. They're going to go to states that basically don't overreach. They're going to start doing things. They're going to make themselves less beholden to a domineering big brother. So you're going to see one of two things. Some people are going to be, I read this is a great article. Some people are basically going to reserve themselves or allow themselves to become, you know, house cats for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And other, other people are going to decide to become big cats. And they're going to decide to break out of the cages and go yeah. places where they otherwise wouldn't have gone. Where are you going, listeners? What, what do you feel like you're going to do? Are you going to try to shelter in, sp- in place for the rest of your life and wait around for the next shoe to drop? And, and here's the other thing I find disheartening, kind of worrisome, but also if you kind of move past the, wait, what if there is no vaccine? Mm-hmm. What happens if there's no vaccine? What happens if there's no therapy? So that, that leaves one thing. It's this whole herd immunity concept. Explain to him what that means. Well, the idea is when you have enough immunity amongst the population that the virus cannot take as much control, people stop getting the numbers of people stop getting sick and stop dying. And then, you know, the whole worry about overwhelming the hospitals goes away and it becomes more accepted. Like, you know, maybe every year you get a flu shot and you get a COVID shot, or maybe there is no COVID shot and you just have to build your immunity. You know, we don't have vaccines for everything. Even, you know, when, when we get sick or when Zoe gets sick, even though she's had the flu shot, they still test her to see if maybe she's got some other kind of flu. And it just, you know, we all accept the fact that you go out you can get sick and, you know, you got to deal with it. And sometimes you're going to be home for a week and sometimes you're going to wind up in the hospital. Well, so, but the more immunity, the, the herd, the crowd has, the less severe it is, the less likely you are to get it, you know, so we have to get there. And I, what is it? Sweden or Switzerland? One of them has basically uh, Sweden achieved that. Um, they're not quite at, I think you have to get to, I can't remember if it's 40% or 60%. I think it's 60% has to have immunity. Um, and then it becomes less communicable. It's less of a menace. Um, you know, so, and so, I, I do think that that's probably where we're headed. Originally, when they said we all have to be quarantined because we're worried about the healthcare system being overwhelmed, I everyone was okay. There, everyone was compliant. Cool. Yeah. Even the most liberty-minded, you know, libertarians like Julie and I, we said, okay, that does kind of make sense. But now, what's going to happen is essentially those governors and some of these other, like all these little pull pot, pull pot wannabes, are all coming out of the woodwork, and they're realizing that they can seize power and influence. And there's sure enough, there are millions of Americans that are more than willing to essentially be compliant and all become house cats. 
So that creates more impetus behind loss of control and people giving up their rights and all this. So these are the types of things that you have to decide which direction you're probably going to go. The whole idea of herd immunity probably is the only resolution. Okay, Mm -hmm. but here's the crazy thing. What if some states don't really have uh, like we're not going to allow herd immunity as soon as we see the new cases go above a certain back down. Right. So guys here, think about this. Why is there this big push for testing? Why? I know why. It's so that basically they can say there's an increase and we can lock people back down. Mm -hmm. Because the reality of it is, is a lot of you have already had this or will have it and will have no symptoms from it. Or your symptoms will be mild and you'll get over it really quick. Or you'll have it and, you you know, being completely asymptomatic, nothing happened, you have the antibodies, your body fought it off. And evidently, there's essentially two immune systems your body has. Can you, mm-hmm. do you want to explain um, that? I think primary and secondary. And your primary is, is there, and I'm certainly no vi- virologist or epidemiologist, but, you know, based on my understanding, there is primary immunity. And that's like, you kind of, you know, when you get days where you just kind of feel like you're under the weather and maybe you're catching something, but then by the next two or three days later, you're totally fine. Right. That's because your, your primary immune system took care of it, scared it off, fought it. It did not take hold in your body. Secondary immunity is, I believe, how they find the antibodies. Right. And you, you know, you are actually sick, even though you didn't feel that sick in some cases, you actually had it and it was trying to kick your butt, but you prevailed. It's like a deeper immunity if it gets that far. Yep. And that's what they're testing. So there's even people that probably fought it off, but aren't showing the antibody because it didn't get a hold of them that bad. Well, that's, here, my, that's my layman's understanding. Anyway. Mine too. Over time, what we're going to discover and what they're going to discover is really the only real solution to this or whatever this becomes after this, which there will be more viruses that come after this. These things do go in waves, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And the bad news is, is there's probably going to be a marketable increase that's going to be a hell of a lot worse um, when it returns in the fall. It does look like there's no reason to believe it's not going to return in the fall. Just because the states are opening up and the cases have dropped does not mean that they, yeah. uh, the flatten the curve thing, guys, all the flatten the curve thing really does mean it's not getting rid of it. It it's just means time. it just it buys time for essentially the healthcare system to catch up. Hopefully, for them to be you know create some sort of vaccine or therapy. But it doesn't. It all it does is it draws out the effects of the virus. Flatten the curve does not mean it actually gets rid of the virus. Mm-hmm. So the virus is going to come back, and in some states, it's going to come back. You can predict where it's going to come back the worst. The states where it was where there's high density of people, where they're forced to be uh, next to each other on subways, right? Or mass transit or all those types of things. So you're going to see a return of this thing. It's going to return where it essentially had its biggest you know, stranglehold the first go around. You're going to see quarantines. But the question that I have, which is going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, will it be a regional quarantine thing? Will it be cities? Will it be... Or it's going to be another national thing. I don't think people have the... I don't think Americans are going to put up with any kind of nope. national quarantine again. I don't. And, and I think people anticipating some sort of quarantine, they're already, you know... Quarantine their, ready. They're calling in their votes and they're yep. leaving. They're yep. going to the countrysides. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you, you see, I, I think that you're right based on the speed in which we can track that. People didn't wait around to Mm-mm. see for a couple of days. It's though? like that, they're ready, I'm out of here. Yeah. So I think that that's an indicator is how, how quickly people are to change their mindset. Even people who might be like the biggest Manhattan enthusiast ever, maybe this is what, you know, they can still visit, but they're maybe not going to live there anymore. So I think that'll be interesting. I It'll also maybe be that maybe not the whole population of a town or a state is quarantined. Maybe, you know, if you're over 70 or 80 years old, 
you've got to stay home. Uh, it would be nice if they said, you know what, you're, as you would say, grown ass humans, <laughs> you know, make your own decisions, here are the risks. And don't do something stupid because, you know, you don't want to be the one infecting and you don't want to be the one infected. Our own um, house call doctor, who I have a lot of respect for because he's taken very good care of us as we've come and gone from strep throats all school year. I asked him about it and he said, look, you know, even even if there is someday a treatment or a vaccine, he said, don't think for a second this is going to be the only virus you ever That's hear about right. in your lifetime. Yep. It's going to come and go. You're going to have to deal with it. Society is going to have to have uh, is going to have to develop a tolerance for the fact that there will be more of these nasty viruses around. And, you know, we're all going to have to deal with it together. But don't think that you're going to wake up one day and it's all going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. And that's coming from an educated doctor who's I mean, he's the one that told us, I think, in February that this was going to be a thing. He did because we wanted to go to Europe this year. He's like, no, watch this video. And he sent us, you know, like a, an interview. I can't remember if it was the CDC or what it was, but it was a bunch of doctors talking about that this is a real thing. And he said, you know, this is, you know, one of many, and it also may mutate. And, you know, this is life was his his thing. He didn't want us to go to Florida for Amelia no. Island, the Conqueror. I know, that in, was uh, our February. last hurrah. <laughs> yeah, he told us not to go. We went anyway. Yeah, but that and that was very close to that was the first week of March. Yep. Um, but he kind of saw it coming, and that that's been his philosophy. And it's interesting. He told me too that he's had to change his business because he said, you know, I'm a house call doctor, and people don't even want me in their house. So I'm, he's doing a lot of telemedicine and video medicine, and he's also the guy that's administering all these tests. I didn't tell you. So um, we're talking to different. Uh, people about sponsoring our podcast and julie and i are trying to only have sponsors that are products that we use and a lot of the a lot of the products we use don't have they have no interest in sponsoring podcasts so i'm having to dig pretty deep well i came across one called rocka eyewear because julie and i are Mm -hmm. unfortunately both having to wear glasses now pretty much all the time Mm -hmm. and um they have and i didn't know about this do you know you could have your eyes checked via video conference now no way. You can do That's it online. Cool. I know. Really? It's $25. You can have an online eye test. That's bizarre. How do they see deep enough into your eye? I, I didn't. You I didn't, first. I, I didn't actually do it because <laughs> I just had cool, my though. eyes checked, right? I just had well, them checked like three months ago. Yeah, but that's under the category of, you know, video medicine. Right. But think about that from, well, th- this is a good point though. This mm-hmm. is a, for example, so if you, mm-hmm. if op- ophthalmologists are going to have a problem, you, you, ophthalmologists made all their money off the margins on eyeglasses. Yep. And with all these eyeglass companies that were selling eyeglasses online, you go to an ophthalmologist and pay them 25 bucks and get your, you know, eye exam. Your eye prescription, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you could go online and basically drop in that sure. prescription in any online eyeglass making place, and then you have your eyeglass, you know, they'll be shipped to you. It wasn't the same experience because they're not going to be fit to your eyes and sized to your eyes, and there's a lot of art and science to getting glasses to actually work. Having ordered them online before mm-hmm. and having them done by a professional, there's definitely a big difference. Um, you know, I couldn't even use transitions for, or progressive lenses and when I tried to get them from, what was that, a Warbly Parker. Mm-hmm. And then when we had them Warby, done by a professional, yeah. uh, you know, doctor, guess what? I can use them no problem. But the moral of the story is, if all of a sudden you can start having the same or very close experience What's going to happen to the ophthalmologist? Gone. That's it. Right. Seriously. They'll all be online. They'll have to adapt. But how about that whole profession? Who's going to go to medical school to become an ophthalmologist if they have to compete with things online? And the prices will probably come down. Right. Exactly. It'd be like, who's going to open up a bookstore because you can buy a book on Amazon where there's no margin in it? 
you know? know. Well, even, you know, Zoe's latest sore throat, you know, um, he was asking like... <laughs> used to start counting them. I think that's like 12 for the year. Uh, you know, if you have white spots on top of the redness of your throat, that's an indicator of strep. strep. He doesn't necessarily have to come here and swab her down to know the likelihood, at least with a reasonable belief that she had it or didn't have it. So, you know, I think things are changing on that. Um, I think you're going to see so much more online because we were forced into it. It's like the uh, a digital res- revolution, perhaps. The online experience, though, I have to say through mm-hmm. Zoom and all these others, it's not good enough yet. No, it's adequate. But yeah, I don't it's think not, it's, it's, not it's definitely not superior. Mm-mm. I think probably. I think parts of it are. Parts of it are pretty nice, but I don't think that it's universally superior. It's not going to. Re- it doesn't replace. It, it, it only. I don't know. Being in front of people or talking to someone in real life, a Zoom is maybe 10%. Yeah. Well, I mean, one reason people like to go to those events is that they get the yeah. familiarity and the networking. Well, and the point they is. like to be around people. What about an Oculus? You know, what, mm-hmm. a, you know, what about yeah. an immersive thing that you can put your, put on your head that basically is a you know, sort of an all-immersive 3D type, you know. Well, that, you have EXP World. Well, yeah. E, well, EXP World, for a example. A version of that. A version of that. So, you know, EXP mm-hmm. World, you're an avatar in a real world. It's essentially like a high-end video game. But it's a real estate brokerage. You can go to different offices and you can talk to different agents. You can talk to, you can go to education training events. Mm-hmm. Julie and I uh, did a couple training events in the EXP world. And it is, I, it is bizarre. You're, you're standing in front mm-hmm. of a, one of them was almost a thousand people. And you, you can't see their faces necessarily. You see the outlines of where they're sitting, just like if you're up on stage in front of a thousand people. But the last time Julie and I did it for EXP, we were in our workout clothes. You know, we were sitting um, on our back, Lanai, you know, looking out at a golf course with the ocean in the distance, mm. with, you know, parrots flying by being too loud, you know, and we were in EXP world presenting to a thousand people while having Diet Cokes, you know, and the, the feedback afterwards was wonderful. The number of people that, re, you know, we had a call to action where they could uh, get access to a, the free coaching program. And if you guys haven't done yet, done yet, that done that yet, text the word survival to 31996 text the word survival to 31996. And the number of people we had that uh, took us up on that was, you know, virtually all of them. And I got to thinking after that experience, yes, it's not the same as being in real life, but that part- like that particular week, we probably did maybe maybe 10, well, probably more like 20 mm-hmm. live events in front of groups of people of at mm-hmm. least probably 20 people, mostly over 100. Sure. And we didn't have to go anywhere. No, it does. I was thinking, you know, it does beat Jumping on a plane, doing the hotel thing, yeah, you know, and such it's more efficient. I, we wouldn't have been able to do physically, logistically, um, 20 events in one week. Well, so we are talking about inflation and deflation. Of course, it's Sunday. And we allow ourselves to get... Uh, Meandering. Meander. We don't mm-hmm. care. I mean, what we talked about today, Bigfoot, sex dolls, aliens, cicadas. spaceships, cicadas. Okay. This is the Sunday <laughs> show, guys. We warned you when you started listening. So as far as inflation deflation goes, mm-hmm. um, that's the cycle that's most likely to happen is you're going to have a cycle of deflation and we're going to be experiencing it even in real estate, even with the seller's market, you're going to see an increase in values. But then as that sells off and the market's satisfied, there's not going to be an insurmountable amount of people that are going to c- continue to want to buy houses because of all the headwinds, of the economy, unemployment and uncertainty, all the things we talk about. So then you're going to see, uh, you're going to see deflation. Um, that's going to take hold in housing. And so when's the deflation going to be noticeable? When the mortgage forbearance programs run their course, because then all the people that were holding on by dear life, just because of the fact that they had a forbearance, are going to have to let go. 
And a lot of those people are maybe going to have to let go for the sake of taking new jobs or, t- or taking new, who knows, lifestyles. Maybe they're going to move to the countryside and they're going to become organic, or, organic farmers. You don't know. Maybe they're going to be on Elon's you know, rocket ship going to the you know, Universal Space Station. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So the moral of the story is, is we're not going to really see the full effects of this economic plague uh, play out probably until this time next year. And when that happens, then you're going to see marketable deflation. And more deflation in housing, but at the same time, here's what's going to happen. You guys can hold us to this. We're pretty res- we're pretty resolved that this is an easily this is the predicted path. You're going to see inflation in other things. Which here, this is like other things. I mean everything: computers, desks, as I said in our little office here, mm-hmm. food. But the inflation, in other words, the cost of things increasing, is already obvious in. Um, plane fare. So when you're talking about, for example, the viability of doing live events that are out of state that you have to fly to, if all of a sudden um, you have to, like Julie and I, to fly business class or first class from here to Texas, what is it for, you know, four of us with my mom, how much does it cost? A couple grand maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And a coach and coach tickets might cost for the four of us like six or eight hundred bucks. But we take, you know, French bulldogs with us and we need high maintenance. We're high maintenance. Exactly. (laughs) Business clothes have to arrive perfectly. We have an 80 year old that flies with us. And a six year old. And we have a six year old. (laughs) And we have a, you know, a 300 year old French bulldog. And a six month old. And a six month old. So so it's a little bit of a shit show. Let's just put it that. So we always fly business (laughs) class because they give you, uh, frankly, a lot more room. Yep. Well, anyway, if all of a sudden the normal cost of flying to an event in, let's say, Austin, Texas, where Julie and I used to live, if flying to Austin, Texas is no longer two grand, but now it's twelve grand, I'm going to think twice. Yeah. If if your coach seats flying back in cattle class, uh, class via Yak Air now costs you know ten times as much or five times as much, if your cheap mm-hmm. seats that you used to be able to fly a for, thousand instead of two fifty or whatever the translation or twenty five hundred opposed yep. to five hundred, yep. are you, you're going to really think now what else is going to increase the cost of the event? The actual cost of the food, the event, the cost of the ticket. The cost of food has already gone up. I know, an enormous amount. Now, enormous. but the, the, the cost of food really could be argued the increase of cost was because the supply chains were screwed up. But real, the real cost is because after all the unused inventory or all the unsold inventory gets sold off, then I think you're going to see the real inflation take hold mm-hmm. just because it costs more to produce anything. Um, and then you have this whole reversal of, um, you know, essentially businesses who have been looking at, well, I make, you know, whatever I make, right? I make computers or I make, but I have one part made here. I have another part made there. I've assembled in China. I have all these different things that are, this globalism trend is definitely going to reverse itself. It already is. And people are going to start saying to themselves, what the hell? Why am I not just basically invested in businesses that were closer to me? Which I think ultimately, guys, this lends to a whole new vision of the future version of the future that could lead big businesses to come back home, which leads mm-hmm. all their you know ancillary product suppliers that go into making whatever it is that they make all coming back home. And you're going to see these big, fast-growing economies like China and whatnot. They're the ones that are going to be on their heels, you know. And you're going to see other countries that were just starting to emerge from long periods of depression and horribleness financially, like Vietnam and all these other countries that had become the new. Uh, global superpowers for manufacturing, they're then going to start suffering because people are going to start saying, you know what? I need to be able to make that at home. I'm going to make that at home. And that, and so these are the other things that you guys can look forward to. And this is the reason that overall, this whole you know seismic shift in everything, it's not just going to stop at uh, face masks or, or lines 
or Starbucks, you know, and all these other things. Everything is going to change. And I think ultimately they're going to change for the better. Yes, we're going to become a much more unified. I, this is my hope. Maybe it's a fantasy. But even with the some states taking a draconian lockdown approach and other states not taking a draconian lockdown approach, yes, you could have a huge political shift that happens because of the fact that you're you might have some states. Maybe the government that uh, eventually is in place is a socialistic lockdown, control the people type government, national government. But maybe there's whole states that say, you know what, that's not what our people want and we're not going to follow the lead. You see that happening now with the governors that are in conflict with some of the things coming out of the federal government. The governor's saying, we're going to keep people in lockdown and we're going to follow our own rules. And, you know, this is in conflict. What could reverse? What if all of a sudden the you know federal government is through draconian lock you down type and then the states say, you know what? Nope. We're not doing that. You know, I could see I could see Texas, for example, easily going its own way. And and California could go its own way just for the opposite reason. So these are the kind of interesting things that might happen. Then that's your doomsday scenario. If there's an actual division of sort of a civil war type situation, that's your absolute worst case scenario. But some people are predicting that that's the natural outcome of, a, you know, and maybe it's just a regional. Who knows? Right. We don't know. Those are your worst case scenarios. But things like that are going to play out. And so what, through all of the uncertainty and all the things that are going to, you're going to start reading about and hearing about and thinking about and all the things you're going to be exposed to, I just want you to remember a couple things. Number one, you are the result of people who have lived through far worse pandemics, economic crises, wars, wars shit shows, being traced by Tyrannosaurus Rex, mm-hmm. you know, the worst things that could ever happen to humanity, the people that came before you that made you, that made your grandparents, your grand's great, da, 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 all the way back, they lived through all of this so you could be here. So it's your job to basically think not just of yourself, but of the fact that you need to essentially live for the generations that are coming after you in honor of the people that made it so you could survive and you could live and you could enjoy life and your children could enjoy life. You need to be in massive, I know it's totally counterintuitive, but this is really the only way to think. You need to be in such a high level of appreciation for being alive during this time of change because you get to live through this ridiculous historical era, but also because you need, you can, if you choose to, be part of what comes next. We're not going to, you know, we are really doing our best to be as de- middle of the road as far as our opinions as possible and helping you guys create your own unified vision of the future. We're going to tell you what ours is. We're going to tell you why we might be right and why we might be wrong. But ultimately, what we want you to be ultimately is not dependent on someone else telling you how to think. Because if you are then going to start being reliant on somebody else having to tell you how to think, you're just going to become the house cat. And life does not usually end too well for the house cat. Usually ends with an impacted molar, you know, 400 pounds with its patches of fur falling out. Julie's got a frowny face on. (laughs) Remembering our deceased cats, thanks. (laughs) We used to have a... That's true. When we first got married, and we were 20 and 21, we wanted to adopt two cats. So the Humane Society was having a, you know, a cat you know, give sell cat drive. Adoption day. Adoption day. And so we went to the adoption day. And when we got there, they put up a sign two for one. And of course, we couldn't then just say, we just want two. Yeah. We ended up with four. So we had at one point actually five cats all at yeah. once. And yeah, that was pretty awful, to be honest. We are zookeepers. Yeah. But, you know, so anyway, we it was digress. Fun when they were kittens. Yeah, it was hilarious when they were yeah. kittens. That's for sure. Um, so moral of the story here is be incredibly grateful for being alive right now. Be incredibly grateful for your hardships even because you're going to learn from them. 
But also understand there will never be a time in our entire lives when there's going to be so much opportunity. And just putting my cards on the table, the greatest opportunity for agents right now is learning how to be powerful listing agents and knowing how to solve agents or knowing how to solve seller's problems of which there's going to be a massive diversity of different you know, intertwinings of issues. And we're going to help you through that with our coaching program. Julie and I are the only coaching organization in the country that has the depth and breadth of knowledge that we do. We never specialize in a particular niche. We never just said we're going to be the prospecting company, or we never said we're going to be the social networking company. We never said we're going to be the referral-based company. We knew that all of those had a place in a viable agent's business and brokerage's business, but it couldn't be your only thing. And ultimately, we want you to have the confidence, and the confidence that only comes from knowing that you have the skills to walk into any room with any seller and know how to solve any set of problems. And if you don't have that, you won't make it. And there'll be other people that basically will adopt to that skill set and mindset and they will make it. In the intervening months, as the country sort of decides to accept the fact that there's a pandemic and that's not going to go away, that there's an economic collapse basically and it's not going to go away. As people start to get resolved to the new normal, which is abnormal, this is your time. You have a tiny little window here to move past your mooring lines, move past your limiting beliefs about what you're capable of. And remember, all the generations of people that came before you, all the generations of people that had to live through war, hardship, you right now are spoiled. You're surrounded by luxury. Just what, two or three generations ago, I bet you your grandparents, they would think you were a god living like you're living. And you think you're living through scarcity, which is shocking to think. Imagine, guys, just you, 10 years ago, if you were, like, say you were, you were living through a time where, think how harder it was just 10 years ago. Now there's a global pandemic and everyone's getting money in the mail. Right? right now, there's a global well, pandemic. Even compared to the Great Recession, that's ten years ago. Yeah. I mean, now there's a global pandemic, and guess what? You don't have to make your house payment for twelve months. And you can have all your groceries delivered, and you can have your meetings online. That's right. Oh, what was you? Right. <laughs> you know. So what's going to come from this is everyone's wildest, you know, science fiction fantasies. All the things you could possibly imagine are going to go true. I personally, I'll tell you where I think it's going. I do think there's going to be a combination of what EXP is doing with Bravella. And, I, and a combination of what like these sort of immersive 3D headgear things. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to put this thing on and you're basically going to be in what essentially is a real life, a, a completely immersive 3D world where you're not just going to see an avatar of a human. You're going to see the actual human and they're going to see you. And you're going to have these experiences that are going to be not 10% of real life. You know, let's say Zoom is 10% of real life. I think Verbella is maybe 20%, maybe 30% of real life. But you're going to get to 75 to 80% of real life. And at that point, people are going to go, what? You know what? That is good damn enough. Mm -hmm. Digitopia. Yep. That's it. They're going to say it's good enough. This is it. We're here. We've arrived. We don't need to go to events anymore. We're not going to, you know, we, we can now tour houses that it's so close to experiencing what the house is like. And so there's going to be a rush to technology platforms and there's going to be a rush to, you know, but ultimately everyone's problem and situation is going to be different. The seller's situations are all going to be different. There's going to be no uniform, real, you know, normal real estate transaction. This is the world that we're in. Embrace it. And if you're even a tinge bit of a capitalist, which all of you are, whether you want to admit it or not, realize that the skill set in this marketplace and your urgency to the lead, your urgency to the lead, your urgency as in the lead of the buyer or the seller, and your urgency to learn, adapt, and always stay hungry, that's what's going to give you an unfair advantage in the marketplace. So I'm excited about that. And I'm also really excited about the future of eXp Realty. I can easily envision 
And I really, it's hard for me to not see this. I see in Manhattan, there will always be your Douglas elements and whatnot. But I think across the globe, you're going to see competing, um, and eXp is going to lead the way, virtual real estate companies. I do not, I cannot see a world where there's any future for a, a small, medium, or even a large size, size traditional uh, brokerage office. Yes, there are older people older than Julie and I who are uncomfortable, who have to learn to be comfortable with a virtual you know, environment. But younger generations, they're going to welcome it, especially as the technology advances. The idea of going someplace for a real estate brokerage, it's going to be as bizarre as you know, essentially having to go to a blockbuster to rent a video. You would never even think of that. Some of you guys don't even remember video stores, which is hilarious as I say it. Yeah, well, the younger generation or millennial crowd, think that they're, I get this question, like, why do I even need an office? Right, like, you don't. Like, they already think it's weird. Yeah, you don't. You yeah. don't. You don't need an office. You need a notebook computer. You need to know what to Some say and apps. how to say it. You need a good cell phone. Yeah. You need a good apps. Yeah, and that's it. And you're you're set. You don't yeah. need a big fan. I mean, obviously, you want to have a, a home office or someplace to keep your, you know, we are big proponents of dry erase boards. I mean, I'm sitting here surrounded by two massive ones. Um, and Julie and I are addicted to them. And our real estate, um, you know, what is it? Real estate treasure map definitely is yep. advocating you guys have everything out as a visual in front of you. And if you want the real estate treasure map, by the way, it's part of the free coaching program. Just text the word survival to 31996 and we'll text you right back a join link. But the moral of the story is be grateful. Be thankful that we're living through this time of change. You know, if you were to think back just 90 days ago, how different everything was just the physical world, but how different is everything inside your head now, emotionally? How much have you changed? Isn't that fascinating? It, I think it's exciting. Are you thinking anything, Jules? Are you thinking about your cicadas and your sex dolls? <laughs> no. I was just doing the calculation back. It really has not even been 90 days. It was basically February. Things had not you know, gotten weird yet. And just the transformation of people. What I was thinking is, we often say that your job is to be caring and competent. And I have no doubt that all of our listeners are caring, but you've got to check your own competency for all of these changes. Are you adapting? Are you adopting new things that you need? And are you doing it quickly enough? You've seen in less than 90 days how fast everything in your world can change. You've got to be the one who is also changing with it and cannot be outpaced by it. That's, That's right. what I was thinking. And, and don't wait. The biggest hazard of all of you have is ask yourself, are you waiting for things to Just return waiting. to normal? I mean, that's the biggest curse, really. If you find yourself in this, I'm going to wait for things to return to normal mode, which is probably 90% of you, if you're being honest, you're screwed because you're never going to, you're going to always be in that waiting stage. And as it, as it doesn't return, what's going to happen is you're going to start to feel profoundly disappointed and sad, and you're going to start feeling helpless, and then you're going to be easily controlled and manipulated, right? So just listen, listeners. As, operate as if there's going to be no real vaccine or therapy. Operate as if herd immunity is the future. Operate as if you're going to have to decide whether you want to be a house cat or a, you know, a big cat, a wild cat. Operate as if your future is predicated on your willingness to basically be of service to others and help others. And ultimately, what we've always said, which is so funny, I'm hearing more people quote us for this, but long-term ever-increasing levels of success comes from doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, Right. Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's right now, guys. That's, it. That's happening. So embrace it. Embrace it with two open arms, or embrace it but keep your six feet distance. Maybe a maybe a <laughs> maybe an elbow embrace. bump. Maybe a fist. No, not a fist bump. No. Maybe just a thumbs up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. God bless all of you. We'll talk to you on our normal show tomorrow.